Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. As always, I'm your host, Amanda G., So happy to be here. So thankful for y'all to continue to support and listen to us and follow us on social media. It's really gotten me. If you've listened to this, if you haven't, you might know I was doing stand-up comedy. It wasn't just a thing I did to just do it. It was a sense of community that I had. It was a a way for me to express myself. It was a way for me to grow and learn as a human being. And then the pandemic happened. And then I really couldn't do comedy in the way that I had been doing comedy for many years. And, you know, it was it was a hard adjustment. And as I tell people, the one thing they couldn't take away from me was the podcast. And this podcast has really gotten me through and I hope it's gotten other people through as well. I hope we've been able to, to touch lives and bring stories and bring connection at a time when that's so important. Thank you for tuning in, and I'm really excited for this episode. We have Lisa Loretta. She is a pansexual comedian based in Los Angeles. And what I love when I was first talking with Lisa about doing the podcast, what I love is she was telling me, I was sick of hearing no from studios and Hollywood in general, so I decided to make my own yeses. That's what she did. She started her own animation studio. She voices characters. She created characters such as she has Sock Karen, who has her own TikTok and Twitter. Uh, She has Richard Picture. She has Petey the Penguin, which we'll talk more about in the episode. So she's just doing her own thing. And she's like, hey, I'm being told no. When I apply for things, I'm going to make my own yeses. She learned animation. Like, how do you even do that? That's amazing. I just love people when they're just like, you're telling me no. That doesn't mean no. That means I'm going to do it on my own terms. And it's probably going to come out better because I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. I just love inspiring stories. I love when people are inspiring and when they know what they want to do and they go out and do it. I was really excited for that. For for Lisa, if you want to check out all of the stuff she does, because it's really hard to put it all into one place. She, Like I said, she does animation. She does voices. She creates characters. She does stand-up. Uh, she does different types of performance. You can go on her website, lisaloretta.com. Um, we'll have it in the liner notes and you know on all the social media posts. L-I-S-A-L-A-U-R-E-T-A.com. And you can see a bunch of videos. She has screenplays up there. If you need something to read, uh, a lot of cool stuff. Check that out whenever you want. But right now, check her out. Stay tuned at the end of the episode. We have a clip of Lisa's voiceover reel so you can get to know some of her characters and some of the stuff she does. Let's welcome Lisa Loretta. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. 
Thank you for having. I, I want to talk about sock, Karen, but before that, just uh, if you can let folks know, like, what are all the different mediums that you are exploring and pursuing? I'm very ADD when it comes to interests. And so I was super into stand up for like a few years and then I just got bored with it. And I was like, all right, what's next? You know, and sometimes I go back and forth. So I went, when I first started doing comedy, I started doing sketch and improv. And so when I stopped doing stand-up so much, which I still do it sometimes, I just don't do it as much. I actually, this we can talk about later, I actually, the past few years have only done stand-up at nude stand-up shows. So there's something. Put a pin in that. We will <laughs> <Yeah>. definitely... <laughs> come back to the nude shows <laughs> yeah um so I was like I miss doing characters I miss doing sketch but I still want to do solo stuff so I went back to doing solo characters so that's mostly what I do when I perform live and then I also started learning animation I started with stop motion and claymation because there were certain characters I was trying to do on stage that people just couldn't they couldn't break from reality enough to get there. I have a character called Petey the Climate Denying Penguin. And so I would dress up as a penguin on stage. And like, if I did it at variety shows, for the most part, people were like, yeah, this is great. But if I did it at like a stand up show, people were like, what the fuck is this? Why is this chick dressed like a penguin? What is going on? And so I was like, this just doesn't translate the way I need it to. So I did him in clay and it worked a lot better. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember like in the 80s and 90s when cartoons, that's when like the Simpsons really exploded and then you had Family Guy and all these other cartoons, but they were always talking about how video games and cartoons can't be too realistic because of that. You have to have that break with, with reality. And then my girlfriend and I yesterday were watching a commercial for the new Call of Duty game. Uh -huh. And it looks so realistic that I was like, these kids are all going to be fucked up. Like, I don't know how they won't be fucked up if they did all these studies that like, you need to have this certain break from reality in order for this format to work. Yeah, I mean, those games are all just breeding soldiers. And then we wonder why people are so into militarization. It's like, because uh, we played it as kids. Yeah, and that's how you win the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's very messed up. Yeah, but yeah, so it, it gave them enough of a break of this is not a human, very clearly. It's a little, it's a little penguin saying these things. It also does this weird thing where it's a little sneaky. Most of my family is very Republican and very anti anything any Democrat would say. So if you bring up climate change, they're going to get mad. But some of them watched Petey, the climate denying penguin, and he's basically satirizing them right yeah like he's got a little exxon and bp logos on his back he's bought and paid for <laughs> like nascar yeah exactly and he just talks about how everything's fine but they watched him at like some family gathering and they were like oh my god what a cute penguin and they didn't even get it and i was like <laughs> i was like perfect oh this is great <laughs> like it just, yeah i was like is, is that the best or the worst like i think it's the best maybe subliminally on some sort of level that information eked in yeah that was my family when i was in high school i worked at a place called once upon a child and we sold new and used baby cribs and, and oh, yeah. clothes and everything for the baby and i'm, I'm not a fan of children 
I just took the job because the store closed at seven. And um, <laughs> so I would just do like two afternoon shifts on the weekdays and every other weekend. And I was like, that's just enough money that, that I need for my life. And um, I can still like go out <laughs> after work. There's so many uh, rich suburban moms and I would literally just make fun of them to their face, but they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And that was the most entertaining thing for me at that job. <laughs> yeah, it's satire is lost on the suburbs and it's kind of great. Yeah, it's interesting. So so yeah, so I started doing I started doing that stuff. So I have a bunch of like claymation stuff. Basically, I've kind of had this goal of instead of releasing a comedy album, I'm trying to convert all or most of my bits into animation. I'm also learning 2D animation right now so that I can do some of the other ones because like in a lot of ways it's just a quicker turnover. So I do have to ask, I know you said you were getting bored with stand-up. What what about stand-up? Because I love stand-up and I feel like I'll never get bored of it, but I yeah. also understand it could be sometimes formulaic and sometimes audiences can be frustrating or other comics can be frustrating. So was there anything specific about it that was boring or um that you just kind of were like I don't really want to do this there's a lot of it mostly it was like everybody's unique and everybody has a different version of a story to tell but it's all essentially the same story and it just feels it started to feel really repetitive to me like there are so many women bipolar bisexual or pansexual or whatever comedians who are dealing with like it's like we're all dealing with all the same shit and maybe that's like why we're all doing stand-up I don't know I started hearing these all these and and it's like yeah everybody has a different joke about their sobriety or a different joke about being bi or whatever I just was like I don't feel like I'm contributing I don't feel like I'm doing anything by getting up and telling my version of that same story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not to poo-poo those who do it. Like it's still it's still a beautiful art and it's still really cool to hear everybody's versions of it. I just felt like I didn't need to be another drop in the bucket of that. And like I had other ways to do the same thing, I guess. So like by doing characters, I can make fun. Like I have a character called Richard Picture and he's a dick pic. And so <laughs> instead of telling a joke about getting a dick pic, I literally am the dick pic. And I show up to shows and I I make it look like I'm there unannounced and unsolicited. And I demand stage time. And then I just rant about how shitty feminism is. And then I end it by coming on a straight white man. and either somebody who's been heckling or somebody who just looks like they're just having the worst time I don't know like that to me is more fun for me than me just getting up and telling a joke about how I got a dick pic or like my perspective on it yeah and I mean I think too like especially in the last few years I think like there's like what they would consider traditional stand-up and then I feel like even with professionals who've had traditional stand-up specials are kind of moving away from that format a little bit in the way they record their specials. A lot of people are uh, like Esther, I can never say her name, Pavinsky. (laughs) She recorded in four different places and like mashed them together, had different outfits, had her parents interviewed, you know, had them a documentary, follow them around. Like like there's different ways to to do stand-up. And I feel like that's expanding and that's exactly 
what, you know, it sounds like you're still, you're doing that performance and you're still telling jokes. It's just, it just looks different. Yeah. And a lot of my characters are actually doing stand up. It's just, I'm doing stand up as a character. So it just, to me, it just feels more fun for me. And then if I'm, if I'm having more fun, then the audience is having more fun. So like I do a character that's the first ever female stand up comedian from the 1800s. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and that's more fun to me. That is its own commentary on women in comedy and women just in general and just all that stuff. Instead of making a bit about it, I made the whole character doing stand up about it. You know what I mean? So it is, she is still doing stand up. She's still doing set up punchline. Wait, what's the, oh God, now I'm trying to think and now I can't because I'm on the spot. But, um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. She says, what's the deal with kids these days? They keep dying. <laughs> just just stuff like that. That's like, that's a very Seinfeld formula. And it's kind of stupid, but it works because it's her and she's just this mousy like, oh, I'm so sorry for being up here kind of lady. Yeah. But the minute you said that, and even when you said Richard Picture, like I could picture this character. Yeah. They're also on my website, so you could literally go picture them. Yeah, we'll let folks know, um, you know, we put it in the liner notes and, and all that. But yeah, I definitely would recommend checking out. Because your website, too, sometimes you go to comics websites or uh, artist websites and they have, like, one video. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know who you are uh, based <laughs> on this one video. And I don't trust that you only have one video. But you had lots of content. Um, which was really awesome. My whole goal ever since I was little was to just have my own show. And so I kind of realized that like, there's a lot that goes into like, Hollywood giving you a show. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna make my own, I guess. And that's kind of what I've done over the years. If I come up with a funny idea for a video, I just make it. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing now, especially with TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff. You don't need to wait anymore. Just make your own stuff. I mean, with YouTube and the internet, even like just live Facebook, you have so many ways to get your content out there that don't require someone giving you a green light. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take it back a little bit. I know you are in LA now. Yeah. But where where were you born? Where did you come from? Oh, boy. <laughs> I was born in Colorado. Yeah, I was born and grew up suburbs of Colorado and then moved kind of all over. I moved to Wyoming for a couple of years. Don't do that. <laughs> and then moved back to Colorado. I had heavy, heavy, heavy alcohol addiction issues at that time. And then when I finally got sober, I just started moving. I just was really restless. And so I moved to Florida where I worked and lived at an all-inclusive resort for a year. And then I moved to Arizona for like two or three months and then I moved to Chicago and then I was there for I think like seven and a half years and that's when I started really like all, all along the way I was kind of doing local theaters and stuff like that doing sketch and doing improv but Chicago is where I did IO and Second City and and it's where I started stand up and then I moved out here after that, LA. You've lived a lot of places. I've lived a lot of places. I've also lived in a lot of red states. I was thinking about that the other day. I always thought until this election, I thought Arizona was, was super red. I think it still is. I think next election <laughs> it'll be red again. I think people just were really 
done. Yeah. My aunt and my cousin live in uh, Phoenix area, and I just remember seeing a lot of people carrying guns. Around. That's how I know it's a red state when I get yeah. there. And in Louis- I'm in Louisiana, but New Orleans is, we're the blue bubble, you know, it's like Austin, yeah. Texas. Well, I think also Arizona had a lot of, I think it was Navajo Nation. It, it was a lot of indigenous votes that went for Biden. It was like 97% of the indigenous vote went for Biden. And I think that was a big reason why Arizona flipped. Because if you look at the counties, it's all like Navajo area. I think it's Navajo. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. Oh, I feel bad that I can't even tell you if you're wrong or right. Anyway, it's it was native votes that did that flipped Arizona this time. Yeah, I was worried when it got down to four states and, and it was like Arizona, Pennsylvania. I was like... Oh god! Like, yeah, we're gonna do this, but we but it, it came through okay. Well, so how old were you when you moved to Wyoming? I went to college there for a couple of years because I wanted University of Wyoming does this thing where they're like, we a don't have enough people in Wyoming because Wyoming is five hundred thousand people total in the whole state, and so they're like, uh, we don't have enough people in the state to sustain a university. So we're going to give all of the surrounding states in-state tuition, or it was like almost in-state tuition. It was cheaper for me to go to that university than to go to a Colorado university. But it was also like, it was two, two and a half hours away from where I lived. So it was like just far enough but not too far. And I have a family that's very like, you. everybody stays. Everybody stays where they grew up. And so it was really, it was a really big deal for me to be living two hours away. But it was the biggest amount of freedom I could get at the time because I was just very still. I just wasn't, I look at people who move out at 18 and are economically sustained and I'm like, how the fuck are you doing it? Like, I can barely do it now. I I couldn't, I would, but I was also very drunk the whole time. So that was part of it. But yeah, I was there for two years and I had to leave because it was, terrible and was there was it just general terribleness or was there specific like toxicity yeah it was a lot of a lot of racism a lot of homophobia that's where matt shepherd was murdered oh yeah and it was only it was not too long after that had happened and so there was still people that would talk about that like oh he deserved it because he hit on somebody at a bar it's like whoa dude whoa even if he did hit on someone at a bar which from all the stories I've gathered, he flirted a little bit, but like not even that much. And even if he was super coming on to you at a bar, you don't murder someone for that. But their logic was that he he deserved it. Also, 9-11 happened and people were saying things like, well, that's what happens when you live in a big city. And it was just, it, it was the strangest because it was a lot of people from towns of 500. You know, and they grew up there and they lived there and they knew everybody in their town. And it was just this very white and very small town mentality that I just couldn't. It wasn't that they were white. It wasn't that they were small town. It was that they were very small minded and I couldn't be around them. Yeah. I had a roommate that said, I can't believe how diverse this campus is. Back home, we only have three black people and two of them are Mexican. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's what we were dealing with. So I was like, I can't. I can't. Like, I tried, and I just couldn't. And (laughs) so, yeah, so then I moved back home, and then I was, like, really, I, like, almost died from drinking. And then 
I got sober and then started, or no, I was doing sketch and I was still drinking a lot. And then I decided one day in June that I didn't want to die on the streets. I had moved back in with my mom and she was like, you can't do this here. If you're going to keep doing this, you have to leave. And I was like, but if I'm going to die, I want to die in my own bed. So I was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'll live. And I got sober. And then I very soon after had to leave because I was like, oh, this is a really toxic place for me. And there's a reason I was drinking. And then that's when I started moving all over. Yeah. So Florida came next. Florida came next. So you wanted to uh, do sobriety in Florida. Well, I, I wanted to do sobriety outside of my home. And there was a resort that paid your room and board. So I was like, oh, I'll do that. Because I was looking into cruise ships and stuff like that. And resorts do the same thing. So I was like, perfect. So I applied and I very easily got the job. And so I was like, okay, great. I didn't know. It was it was Club Med. I remember Club Med. Are they still around? I think so. Yeah. They include in their payment bar bucks, which is like how you get free drinks at the bar. So I didn't know that when I went there. I just went there. And it was really, really hard. But at the same time, it kind of made it a lot easier because everybody was such a hot mess. And first I was working in the little gift shop. And then I was like, I want to learn how to bartend because they require at that resort, they require you to spend a certain amount of time every night at the bar socializing with guests. And I was like, I can't do that. But they also had shows and all the people that worked there performed in the shows. So I was like, okay, I'll do the shows. And then I was like, well, what if I learn how to bartend? Then all my time at the bar is spent working. So it's no big deal. So I switched to the bar and it it made it so much easier to be sober because I would see people at the end of the night at last call looking like fucking zombies. And I was like, oh my God, I was such a mess. It actually made it kind of easier. I don't know if I would have stayed sober if I didn't have that type of experience. That's how I feel about cocaine. I have never done cocaine, but I've just been around people like when you're sober and they're like high off their ass. Like it doesn't look fun. No, it it looks insane. (laughs) And it was, it was kind of the same thing. It was just sweaty and slurry and bad decisions. And Yeah, it was, oh, God, I'm really glad that's not me anymore. Yeah, and also that you're able to be in that environment. I, you know, I I know it's hard for a lot of performers that are are sober to then be in bars or to be in performance spaces where drugs and alcohol are free-flowing and where everybody's doing it. So I think a lot of people, that's a, a big struggle. They'll either try to stay away from that completely, which is hard if that's where they perform. Yeah. Or it takes some time to adjust. I think I was blessed in that the theaters that I performed at when I was still drinking didn't have alcohol there. So what would happen is we would do the shows or rehearsals or whatever, and then we'd go out. And that's where I would get shit-faced. And so I've never associated performing with drinking. I associated after performance with drinking. So my issue has always been I'm not good at networking. Because networking is going out after the show. 
and like hanging out at the bar after the show. And I, I can't do that because that makes me want to drink because that is something that I used to experience. Yeah. And that was almost like the reward for performing. It's like you do this great show and then you all go out and celebrate. Or you have a bad show and you get to drink your worries away. (laughs) And then you forget that there was a show three hours later. Yeah. And then, (laughs) and then I drive home. I, I was, I was the worst. I really drove drunk way, 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 way too much. And I'm surprised that nothing terrible happened from that. But yeah, so I have issues with the after the post show stuff. So what, how was that uh, working at an all inclusive resort at a club med? Was it just, I'm sure after hours, the staff hung out. Well, there kind of was no after hours because we lived on the resort with the guests. And so there was always, there was always at least a guest or two around, even if they were just like drunk roaming around or something. But I treated it as kind of school because I was learning how to bartend. And also I kind of used it as a way to make up for all my shittiness and to be super professional and actually work and like make money and save up so that I could move to Chicago. I used the shows to hone my performing and stuff like that. So I, I kind of treated it like, like I should have treated school. Treated it like a professional environment. Yeah, which no one else did. (laughs) But it's kind of perfect, right? Because like, I'm such a contrarian anyhow, that I've always had a hard time doing what everybody else is doing. And so it was kind of perfect. I was still kind of this outsider or whatever by doing that. And that part of it wasn't on purpose. But it just kind of happened to be that way. Yeah. And I also think the cool thing I think about being at I don't know why I think this because I wasn't there, but like you were in an all-inclusive resort and you live there and you work there. And so you were like in Florida, but like you didn't have to be like in Florida. Yes, 100% because it was French owned and most of the people that worked there were Canadian. And so it was more European Canadian than it was American, but it was in a beautiful place. Like I could go kayaking and There were alligators, which I know is scary to some people, but I think it's really cool because the water was brackish. And so sometimes you could see alligators and it was just this beautiful, beautiful place. And then if you went off resort, it was like, uh, be careful. So yeah, it was, we're in Florida, but we're not in Florida. (laughs) Yeah. Once you're like all inclusive, like, okay, you were, you were okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You were all right. And I, and I say that my mom lives in Florida now, so I feel like I get to talk a little shit about Florida. Anybody who lives anywhere is allowed to talk shit about Florida. Florida is, I don't know if you've ever watched the show Big Mouth. Yeah. There is an episode where they go to Florida and just everything is 100% accurate in that. It's just you want to do meth and wear a American flag bikini? Go for it. You want to be super, super rich and bougie? go for it. But like, know that I'm going to do cocaine right by you. You know, like, it's just this weird place. And it's like Disney and Epcot and NASA launches and alligators and panthers. It's just this weird, there's nothing else. I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of other places like it, but it just feels like this unique little peninsula. Yeah. I Sometimes I'm like, they should just be their own country. We can let them go. They really should. They would be fine. They would be absolutely fine. (laughs) 
as Homer Simpson refers to it, it's America's wang. <laughs> I do love Florida. I love Florida. But Florida is fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. And I, you know, I enjoy the beaches. And yeah, definitely all the Disney shit's great. I also enjoy leaving there. And you'll never see a pool that's not encased within a mesh net. <laughs> because otherwise you'll be eaten. What was the next step? What made you say like, okay, I'm done with the all-inclusive life. I want to move on to the next chapter. What was that? Yeah, so it was like, it was six-month contracts. By one of them, a lot of people are done. By two, I was definitely done. But I wasn't, I still needed to save some money. So I, because I didn't feel like I had enough to move to a big city yet. And my roommate at the resort lived in Arizona. And so I was like, oh, I'll just, do you want to just be roommates for six months to a year and she was like yeah sure so I went back home for like a couple of weeks and then I moved to Arizona and I only lasted two or three months there because it was one of those situations where like when you're working at the same place you can be best friends because you can bond over everything you hate about that place (laughs) but then once you're not sharing that life anymore you realize how different you are and She had also dealt with addiction issues, but she hadn't dealt with them yet. Mm. And so she would bring the entire bar back to our little house. We were renting a little house and they would just party all night. And I was like, I can't do this. And then she invited a squatter to come live with us. And then the squatter, the squatter invited squatters to come live with us. And, And yeah, it was mostly her just bringing people to party all night and it was just really not a good place for me to be in. On resort, there was at least, I don't know why I felt more in control, but then it was getting back out into real life. It was a little bit harder to be sober. And so to bring that around was even harder for me. So I was like, all right, I gotta go. And then I moved to Chicago because that's where I was told the best training was for improv and sketch. And I finally had saved enough money. I guess it it makes sense too, because when you're at the resort you're kind of in a you're in a bubble in a way and then yeah going somewhere else like you don't have that bubble or that security where you're familiar with everything well and at the resort there were weeks when I would work 70 hours and it was by design because I was like I need to stay busy 100% yeah when you first got to Chicago was that was the first I guess in Wyoming that college town was big no I think the population was like 25 or 26,000 people total Okay, so now. Whole town. So Chicago was definitely, I mean, Denver, I I went to school in Denver for a little bit in between all of this, but I didn't live in Denver. I lived in the suburbs. So Chicago was definitely my first big city experience. And I was so naive and stupid, but it, it worked out. My first night I was in Edgewater. I think it's a pretty nice neighborhood now. It wasn't necessarily the best neighborhood at the time but I was like right across the street from the beach which was dope but my first night there I didn't have a lock on my door that worked and I guess the person who had lived there before me was a crack dealer oh shit so my first morning I wake up to somebody opening my door and I was like hello and they just closed it immediately and I was like what the fuck and then um, I had a neighbor who was always always looking out for me and he was like I saw somebody, I saw some crackheads pounding on your door again. I told them to get the fuck out of here. She's, she doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> I was like, I was like, thank you. I had a lot of people watching my back 
And I didn't even realize it until I was kind of out of that situation. Yeah, because they always say in the big city, you don't know your neighbors. Yeah, I didn't know more than like him and my landlord. And that was kind of it in that building. It definitely smelled like crack a lot of the time, which if you don't know, smells like burning styrofoam and ramen noodles. And I don't know if the ramen noodles are because they were also making ramen noodles or if it was it's the same smell. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was like, that's a very unique smell. <laughs> it was. I feel like I can smell it right now. And I was only there for like a year. And then I and then I just like moved to different neighborhoods while I was in Chicago. And it was interesting. You did Second City. Did you go all the way through? Yeah, I did the conservatory program. And then I, there's a lot of people now who are super, super successful that I went through those programs with. And, you know, it was like, I was a little too weird for Second City. I didn't really fit in there. So I never I never got hired by them. I was on teams at IO for a few years. And then I finally got cut from from IO. And then I started doing my own thing. That's when I started doing stand up. And I just fell in love with stand up. I had done the pre audition for Saturday Night Live where you audition for Sharna, who owned the theater. And I had been on teams at her theater for like a couple of years at that point and had just gotten cut. And I auditioned and she was like, who are you? You're, oh my God. <laughs> you're such a good writer. You're such a good performer. And I was like, eh. I've been here in front of your face. But she never watched the shows. So it was like, I was really frustrated with that. So she was gonna, she was trying to get like a two night showcase. She only got one. I was going to be on the second night. And so that fell through, but she was like, I want to like get all of you ready for next year. And so she started, she started having us do these meetings for next year. And her plan was to have us kind of write each other into our five minute one person auditions. And I was like, that's really weird. And I kind of hate that. And like, that's also, I don't think what Lauren wants to see. He went to IO to see one person act, you know, and then he went to Second City to see the group stuff. And so anyways, I was just like, I don't love this. So I was like, I'm done. And I just started doing stand up and I really should have just followed through and just bit the bullet and done it. But whatever, I didn't. But if it's not you, it's not you. Like you have to be authentic. Yeah, it just didn't feel right. And and so I started doing stand up and I within a couple of years I got cast on Oprah Winfrey Network show that didn't end up getting picked up. It, we only did the pilot and that was actually a blessing in disguise because it was a reality show. What was it? What was the concept? It was called My Life is a Joke and it was about five ladies in Chicago comedy trying to make it. And <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. It was like it was produced by the last comic standing producer. It was well done, but I was not at a place where I could be truthful and authentic on TV yet. You know, like I just wasn't I was too scared at the time. So it was kind of a good thing that it didn't 
get picked up, but also not because it was stupid good money for what it was. But I get it. You have to really put your whole life out there. Yeah. And there were certain things that I just wasn't comfortable sharing with people. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't super comfortable talking about sobriety yet. There's some crazy shit that happened in my childhood that I didn't want to get out because I was kind of scared that my dad's family would react bad to it or something. I don't know. It was just, it was a lot, but yeah, it was interesting. And then like not too long after that, I moved out here. And what was the drive to, to leave Chicago for LA? It sounds like you were doing pretty well there. I was, but I hated Chicago. First of all, there, like I'm a very nature person and there's, you don't have nature in Chicago. Like you have the beach, but that's kind of it. It's very flat. And I grew up around mountains. I need that. But also as far as comedy goes and career, I felt like I had done everything I could do there. I felt like most people don't even get their TV credits until they move to New York or LA. So it was like, okay, I already got my TV credit. I can't go any further in Chicago. That's how I felt at the time. But I also just was sick of Chicago. And I had been wanting to move to LA for several years. I just I just didn't feel ready. And I was like, no, you're ready. Just fucking go. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty easy decision. <laughs> yeah. I'm originally from LA and growing up there, I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I do. And especially since I started performing, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have should have stuck around a little bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's different when you grow anywhere you grow up. It's a different experience. It is for sure. I also think now I didn't think so then, but I do think now you can be as successful as you want to be no matter where you are, especially right now with COVID and everything being virtual and all that stuff. You don't have to leave anywhere to be super successful. But I think that's just true. I think wherever you're thriving is where you're going to be the most successful. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you want to do. I guess in New Orleans, you know, we don't even have a comedy club. We have some film, but then our state, our state was giving all these tax credits for film. Um, so all these films were being made here, uh, TV shows, and then they cut the tax credits because the Republicans are assholes. So then a lot of our film industry went to Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, they became like the the LA of the South. We were on our way to do that. Like Pitch Perfect filmed in Baton Rouge. Currently we have Claws is still filming here at NCIS New Orleans. Um, but we had, you know, Treme was here. Like there's a bunch of... We were, we were getting on the map, and then they took that away. They were probably worried too many Democrats would move in. <laughs> That's a fair point. I should I should take it out of like they should have done this to like oh there's a bigger thing happening that I couldn't see. That is exactly it. They're like oh no, that's just going to bring uh, that blue dot in New Orleans is just going to get bigger and bigger. I mean it it did just happen in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean Georgia should have thought it through, but they just saw the money. <laughs> fine by me that's it's hard though for the conservatives because like they're about money so it's like they have to choose more money or i guess staying in power which could be more money so either way they win which sucks yeah i don't know uh i don't know it's all gross (laughs) yeah so i i did i did want to ask because this is a it's a queer podcast um yeah so you know we do like to to touch on that. Um, and when we were first messaging about uh, doing the podcast, you messaged that you're pansexual. Yes. So I wanted to ask what that coming out journey was and possibly still is. The, the way we usually ask it on the podcast is like coming out doesn't just happen. It's not like one moment where you're like, oh, I'm out and that's it. Um, is that something that's part of your, 
this is going to be like 10 questions in one, (laughs) but more or less, you know, your coming out journey. And is it something that is incorporated into your performance or any of your characters? Yeah, it, it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't until a few years ago, even know what pansexual was. So I, when I was younger, I, I liked boys, but I also liked girls. And I was like, no, it has to be one or the other. Like I knew about gay and straight. So I was like, no, it has to be one or the other. So for a while I was like, well, maybe I'm a lesbian. And then I'd go back to, no, I think I'm straight. And I would go back and forth. And then I learned about bisexual and I was like, okay, so I guess I'm that. And then I had a gay friend who always told me that bisexual isn't real, that you're either gay or straight. And so I was like, no, I don't think that's true. That doesn't feel true. But he was so insistent that I was like, okay, and he's gay, right? So it's like, listen to the expert. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm straight then, but I don't think I'm straight. And then it was like, you know, going through college and stuff, I just, I didn't, I didn't ever fit that heteronormative thing. I just wanted things to be looser than they were. Like I would see my friends pair up in their hetero couples and I was like, but why can't I sometimes also make out with Katie? Why do you only get Katie? And also I want to make out with you too. You know, like I, I just, I, I don't know. So I didn't know what it was really. And I was really closed off as far as opening up to people in a relationship way. Like I was fine with friends, but I couldn't get intimate with people very easily. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in my 20s, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely bi. But the people who pursued me always just like happened to be men. And so I, I always just went with the easy thing that was this person definitely likes you because I just had this fear of if I initiate, I'm going to be rejected. So if somebody else initiated, then I was like, yeah, okay, then you're my partner for the next two years or whatever. <laughs> so I had a few boyfriends, but that didn't ever feel right to me for various reasons. And then when I moved to LA, I moved here with another, with a man and that fell apart very quickly. And really I tried to end it before I left a, because I didn't feel like he was ready to move to LA or wanted to at all, like should have at all. And also because it just was a relationship I wasn't interested in keeping going. So like very shortly after moving out here, we broke up and I started dating everyone. And I started dating couples. I would date people who were in open relationships just individually. So I was like, oh, this is the spot. This is it for me. Because it wasn't just about men or women. It was about the energy of people. Sometimes I want that masculine energy and sometimes I want that feminine energy. And usually I want a good solid mix of both where it's not one or the other. And so I found a person that was also pansexual. And so we started dating each other and we were in an open relationship because he was also exploring that aspect of himself. And he wanted to try hooking up with men. And I wanted to try hooking up with men and women and everyone. And we wanted to kind of have somebody fun to explore all those things with. But we also like wanted someone, you know, like we wanted to have a person. And so we kind of just explored everything together and apart. And that was really beautiful. And now I'm kind of, 
I, that's when I found out, like when I started dating couples was when I found out about non-monogamy and when I found out about polysexual and pansexual and all these other things that you could be. And I was like, that's what it is because I've never like, I've never really cared that much about gender. I love all the parts and I love all the mixes of the parts. You know what I mean? And like, I love all the energies and I love all of the mixes of the energies. And I love to see men dressed like women. And I love to see women dressed like men. And I love every iteration of it. I just, I love it. And so, so now I'm just kind of like, I'm not with anyone because I'm kind of just like with myself, I guess. Who who was it that said self-partnered? There was some celebrity that called herself self-partnered. <laughs> and I was like, that's amazing. And, and so now I'm kind of that because I just, I can't think of anybody that's worth me giving up my solitude because I really like it now. But yeah, I, I date all genders. If you're cool, then cool. Let's hang out. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'm, you know, my... My mom and my sister know about it. I didn't have like a coming out to them. I just kind of, my mom was like, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, I'm going on a date. And she was like, with who? And I'm like, this couple. And I was really casual about it. And she was like, oh. And he, I think, hates it. But she is very nice and puts up with it. And my grandparents do not know. And I don't know about the rest of my family. And I don't really care either way, I guess. Yeah, it's your life. Yeah, and like all my friends know, obviously. And is that something that you talk about on stage? I do when I do stand-up, but I I don't have any like characters. I have characters where I dress like men or like I said, I dress like a dick. But so, no, I don't really discuss my own sexuality because I'm a character, you know. I'll just be this toxically masculine thing or this toxic feminine thing like I'll I'll just be that thing I have a few jokes about it in stand-up but I don't I so infrequently do stand-up that it doesn't come up as much yeah it's part of who you are but it doesn't have to you know always be up in the forefront yeah and that's the thing too like I'm not I'm not like it's Lisa Loretta the pansexual comic it's like (laughs) there's so many things about a person that's like I don't know some some people yeah their their sexual identity is their whole shtick but that's just not me that just happens to be a part of, like I'll talk about a woman I dated just as easily as I'll talk about a man I dated or or whatever so yeah you know I always say I hope for the future that it can just be like a casual I'm having this conversation and I don't have to think about who I'm having it with or what they're going to say. And it's just like, yeah, okay, great. You and you and that woman have a good day. You and that couple, I hope you all have a good vacation. Like it doesn't have to, that it can just be the, the same as like any heteronormative relationship is seen in society. Yeah. And I think, I think it, we're slowly getting there. I've seen a couple of pansexual characters on TV. I think that's one of the first, that's kind of the litmus test of, how society is going with certain things. Once you can see it as a character on TV, you know it's being more accepted. <laughs> yep. All right, well, let me ask you, what's what's next for you? Wait, before we get to what's next for you, back it up. I, I did say put a pin in, in this. <gasps> oh, right. Nude comedy. Let's, nude comedy. Let's talk about nude comedy. It's the only stand-up that isn't boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
to perform. Again, I will watch stand-up, but for me to perform myself. There's a theater. Well, there was. I don't know. Oh, God. We, we're not yeah, going to get into that. Wood, but, knock on wood. All theaters are going to still be there. But they had an audition for, like, a nude comedy. And I was like, mm, I don't know. This could be shady. Let's try it. So <laughs> I went and you had to audition nude, but everybody was nude, including the person who was auditioning you. And it was all dudes and me. And I was like, <laughs> all right, typical comedy. Yep. Next. We all did two or three minutes and I have never seen people more humble. I've never seen men more humble after doing stand-up or doing an audition than after that experience. You know how usually, I don't, I don't know if you audition a lot, but usually at least after like a stand-up show, you know, guys will get done and they'll just look like, yeah, I fucking did that. Have this really like proud look on their face. Yeah. Not that at all. It was, it was a lot of avoiding eye contact and just nodding at each other and like, good job. Thank you. you too. <laughs> it was really funny and like really beautiful. And also while I was auditioning, I didn't even notice that I was nude until I because I did my bit where it's the first female comic. And so I do a thing where I touch my corset and I was like, oh, it's not there. <laughs> and that's the only time I even noticed that I was nude. And so I was like, this is kind of amazing. And then I did the show. I have never had a more supportive audience. The whole audience is naked. It's just, it's a nudist event. It's not sexual at all. Although, of course, there's always like one dude that's like, <laughs> but <laughs> of course. he's always, he's always anywhere. So it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's not fine, but it has to be fine. So it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, it was like a beautiful experience and like such a great audience and you get paid for it, which it's hard to get paid to do a stand-up set this is ideal. And so I just kept going back because it was just so fun. Sometimes I'll just treat it as an incubator for my bits and like try stuff out. And then and because it's such a mix of pros and amateurs, it works out. It kind of doesn't matter what you put up because they're just there to laugh and they don't care. So yeah, it's been really great. I haven't done one since January, which is very sad. They'll be back. They'll be back. Even if they're at another theater, they'll come back. Yeah, because unfortunately, you can't do that at the outdoor shows. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. Might get in trouble with that. Yeah, I'm always saying things are postponed and not canceled. So it will be back. I've knocked on a lot of wood since we had this conversation. <laughs> so I think I think we're okay. <laughs> and you know what? If it's not, then that's fine. I had the experience. It's all good. I mean, I hope the theater makes it through. Yeah, I hope all the theaters make it through. I really do. And I know anytime someone has a fundraiser, I'm trying to promote it or donate what I can. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, California is a little better about supporting these venues over Louisiana. Yeah, I don't know. Bob Baker Marionette just put out that they're about a month away from having to close permanently. So that's oh, the latest no. one. Hopefully they'll be okay. Yeah, hopefully they'll uh, do some fundraising. Tipitina's is this big famous place in New Orleans and they just did, they had live music that was streaming and then they had across the street from the venue, they had like outdoor live music where you could come and socially distance and or you could watch it from home streaming. And I'm hoping they got enough money to stay around because they're like a New Orleans institution. Yeah. But that's... 
We're not going to think about that right now. No. We're think about exciting things. So what's next for you, Lisa? You know, I have no idea. I am not making plans because I don't think it's realistic to make plans right now. So I'm kind of just doing stuff that I'm inspired to do and having a lot of fun with. And the thing I'm having the most fun with during quarantine has been my Karen puppet named Sock Karen. She has her own Twitter. She's at Sock Karen. And she is married to Douglas. And she is a, a typical Karen. She's really fun. I took her to the Women's March. She thought it was an anti-mask rally. <laughs> of course. She tries to gentrify neighborhoods. She calls the cops on everyone. She calls 911 all the <laughs> time. Uh, right now, she's working on the rigged election and... She has called that Trump war room a bunch of times and left a bunch of messages. They have yet to call her back. So she's upset about that. Um, of course. Well, they have a lot of Karens to get back to. So she's got to be a little patient. So many Karens to get back to. <laughs> she is very anti-mask. So she's going to be really upset about this vaccine one way or another. Yeah, she's been a delight. <laughs> <laughs> But I've been I've been doing a lot of stuff with her because it's just it's cathartic. And I'm even like bringing her to some live outdoor shows and just doing Ask a Karen and the audience Perfect. can like <laughs> interact with her and she can interact with them. And people are like, yeah, it was great and terrible. Because <laughs> they're like, it felt like my aunt. But like, but it's a sock. So it's yeah. funny and weird and goofy. And like, you can kind of yell at it and tell it off. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, you could say, fuck you, Karen. And you know, you wouldn't say that to your aunt. To your aunt, you, you say, have a blessed day. You might say it to your aunt <laughs> anymore. You might start <laughs> going ahead and saying, fuck you, Karen, to your aunt. <laughs> yeah, she's she's meant to be a piece of catharsis and satire. And sometimes I troll on Twitter with her and people don't read the name and <laughs> they start arguing with her. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, no, these are not the people I want to upset. Like, these are the people we're on yeah. the same side. Like, she'll she'll comment like, still can't make me wear a mask. And people <laughs> people will be like, just arguing with her. And I'll just reply, I'm a sock. And it'll take about five of those for people to like calm down and realize, oh shit, I was arguing <laughs> with a troll. Well, that's got to be fun too. <laughs> it is fun. I just I don't want to make reasonable people angry. Yeah. So I'm trying to be careful with how much trolling I do. But they should also, you know, take a look at who they're responding to. And yeah. It is. Her name is Sock Karen. And there's a picture of a Sock Karen. It um, is a lesson in that and, and in, in like who you give your energy to. Like, <laughs> I never argue with someone on the internet if it's like a private account or anybody who I can't look at and automatically see who they are. I never even bother. And if I can see who they are, I'm like, oh, you're just a blatant racist. I'm not going to give you my time. Yeah. One time, a long time ago, this was maybe six years ago, I made a joke on Twitter about Justin Bieber. I didn't tag him in it. I didn't hashtag Justin Bieber. I just put the joke out there. And then this like 12 or 13 year old girl trolled me. And she happened to catch me at a moment when I, I was a little buzzed. And I like went back and forth with her. My other friend like joined in 
she was saying things that a 12 or 13 year old girl should not call an, an adult. But then like the next day we were messaging and she's just like, I don't have a lot of friends at school. And, Aww. you know, I just really like Justin Bieber because he makes me feel. <laughs> yeah. And so then we like had this bonding moment where I'm like, look, I get it. That's how Mariah Carey has been my whole life. Check her out. And, you know, we had this this moment where we both saw past the thing that we were angry about. Yeah. And we were able to just be like two human beings. Aw, she was just a believer. I know. I, I don't remember the joke, but it wasn't like super, it wasn't super mean. I was just, I think I was more mad that I hadn't tagged him and I hadn't hashtagged him. And that someone went, I didn't know she was like a kid either. She had a, a picture of like a flower or something. So I couldn't tell. So I just There's thought just no like, telling what age that flower was. <laughs> yeah, it could have been like 55. It could have been 82. It could have been 12 or 13. Um but, you know, so I, I was just mad that somebody, like, went out of their way to find my post to then troll Yeah, me. that's that's extra frustrating when it's like, dude, you're literally trolling. Like, yeah. you're not, you're doing work to find this. You're not, like, a friend of mine or somebody I care about. Yeah, we had no mutuals, any of that. So that's, I was more upset about that than, like, anything else that was going on. Um, and I got really, like, worked up on it. Like I said, we made our peace and uh, we're still Twitter friends to this day. I love that. <laughs> what a friendship. Yeah. That, I feel like that's the modern day equivalent of calling the wrong number and sparking up a friendship. <laughs> I feel like that's the modern day of that. Oh, absolutely. But it starts this time it starts with trolling. <laughs> yeah. This time it starts with being a purposefully terrible person. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then retracting a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was basically we both had to take back some things that we said. Uh, we were able to do it. <laughs> but yeah, this has been so fun. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah. Can you let uh, folks know where they can connect with you or Sock Karen or uh, <laughs> Richard Picture or any other characters or shows or YouTube or any of that stuff? Yeah. So my website is just my name.com. So it's Lisa Loretta spelled L-A-U-R-E-T-A. LisaLoretta.com. And that's got almost all of my videos. Um, it doesn't have all of the Karens because Karen is just very prolific. So if you want to see Sock Karen, she's at Sock Karen on TikTok and on Twitter. However, on Instagram, she's at Sock.Karen because Sock Karen is a real person on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So those are, and then also on my, my socials are all just at Lisa Loretta. Um, but yeah, you can see Richard picture is on lisaloretta.com. And so is first female standup and another standup character I do called loud shirt, Larry and Petey. Oh yeah. And Petey's on there and some other claymation is on there. Bunch of stuff. Um, my art, I have a lot of artwork that's on there. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff, man. Yeah, like I said, your website's packed, and I and I love that. Um, it just it shows you know the variety of what you do, and that you are working on you know so many different great things. Yeah, I also have writing samples on there if oh. you ever want to just read a script. <laughs> yes, well, we all have time now. <laughs> I was gonna say. I mean, during quarantine, I if it wasn't quarantine, I wouldn't even suggest that. But I'm like, you know what? Actually, people. <laughs> this is the time if you're gonna get people that are like i'll read a script this is the time this is it so i've got a screenplay <laughs> i've got pilots i've got all kinds of stuff up there too great yeah we'll put it in the uh, show liner notes and on all our social media so folks you'll be able you don't have to memorize that well, we got you 
<laughs> and and thanks for doing this. And it was so nice to talk to you. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My dog wants to say thank you as well. Let's do it. She's She just licked my face. That's oh. it. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Welcome to Great America. We're doing great. Allow me to introduce you to a few new friends. There's Dad. He enjoys full days of being the sole breadwinner for the family with his rewarding job as a door-to-door pharmaceutical salesman. Speaking of which, stop crying. Man up for God's sake. It's a good thing we're inside. Bob, Rover is missing and you're worried about your stupid party? Ah, Deborah, I hate you. Are those my peppies or my downies? Just put it on our tab. Having my makeup tattooed on was probably the best 15000 my husband's ever spent. <laughs> Ugh, nobody invited you, vegan cheese. We, oui. no one likes you. Yeah, besides, party's at nine anyways. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Oh, putain, you are so stupid. Oh, not cool, Striggy. Ha <laughs> I knew there was a party. See you guys at nine. You don't spell cheese with a C. He cannot melt his vegan cheese. Oh, you can do whatever you want to me. Just don't mess up my makeup. I'm just kidding. This is permanent. I'm going to look like this forever. Uh, it is so cold down here that it makes a hug from your waspy aunt from Connecticut feel warm. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'll be here all week. Uh, but I should... Uh, I should go. Okay. Thank you to Lisa Loretta for sharing her world with you. Special thank you to Jess O'Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We're all over social media. Twitter at Queer to My Heart, Facebook and Instagram at Near and Queer to My Heart. If you're old school, email us, nearandqueertomyheart at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.